It's Monday, March 7th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, from Income Investor, James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Guys, good to see you. Good to see hey, you, Chris. Chris. We've got news from Mattel, and we've got one financial writer looking to take down Warren Buffett, but we are going to start with Starbucks. CEO Howard Schultz told the Wall Street Journal that his company is looking to beef up its consumer products business so that over time it will rival Starbucks' retail business. Quote, it's very possible that Starbucks, as a corporation, will be marketing and selling multiple products that don't have coffee in them or coffee associated with them. Uh, Bill Mann, as a Starbucks shareholder, please talk me off the ledge. I get terrified when I hear stuff like that. I think the good news for you is that you may be reading a press release from 2004. <laughs> <laughs> you got in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> I mean, we've heard this from Starbucks before. And really what Starbucks is coming up against is, is, is they've come to the end of their growth trajectory, the easy growth doing what they do well. And so they're looking for new things. What would make me happy were I a shareholder is if they were the new thing were to be returning more cash to shareholders, because it's an incredibly profitable business, but they're they're trying to figure out more ways to grow, which I don't know. I don't do any of you ever go to Starbucks for victuals? I mean, you know, I go <laughs> yeah, for coffee. If they made it a 7-Eleven maybe, but yeah, some studies showed that, that stocks that pay higher dividends actually have higher earnings growth over the next 10 years. And that's because managers waste so much capital on, on ridiculous things like this. Everybody would love to believe that growth potential exists when most of the time it doesn't. Tim? You know, when, when I come to the end of the this cycle of things I do good, you know, my next step is not to move on to the things I don't do well. <laughs> I, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know, as Bill said, Starbucks is a history of trying and then failing at this. Uh, Joe Magazine. Aquila and the, the bee. bee. <laughs> um, you know, Starbucks at home, that whatever that furniture. Was it furniture they were going to do? They were looking into some luxury furniture. Yeah. Luxury furniture. Didn't really pan out. You know, this is, you know, as Bill said, I don't go into Starbucks and, and as I'm sipping my latte, I scope out what's on the wall to buy. You know, it's not an art gallery. It's not a furniture gallery. It's not a movie theater. <laughs> it's a coffee shop. And once Howard Schultz comes around to that, you know, maybe shareholders will be better off. I know this may shock you, Tim, but he also said in the interview that uh, there's a large runway for growth and opportunity overseas, China, India. You know, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. This is, uh, it, is, it is March 7th, yes. and, and I believe we've, we've done a number of these shows during the year, every, yep. every weekday, and I think we've heard that same quote from over 30 different CEOs. Automakers. Look, yeah. someone is going to make money in China, but it's not everyone. Um, you know, Starbucks, if it's going to succeed in China and India, the first thing it needs to do is cut prices. Because right now, if you were to go uh, to Starbucks in New York, you know, pay $4 for your drink, get on a plane, fly to China, get off in Beijing, go to the first Starbucks you see there, buy the same drink, you're going to have the exact same experience. You're going to pay about $4, which is just a price point that's irrationally high for the, for the average Chinese consumer. Although it's very welcome to you having just gotten off a plane. <laughs> That's true. I do pay that $4. But, but, you know, if he's banking on me to fuel his China growth, it's not going to happen. So, so let me just ask this as a devil's advocate. Could coffee not be perceived as a gourmet thing in China? I think I read some guy was, was transporting Paps Blue Ribbon into China and charging $40 a bottle and saying, this is Blue Ribbon, the finest alcohol you can buy, and, and people are, are purchasing it at gourmet restaurants. Yeah, but that, that's not going to get you to the, the growth. Mass market. That, right, the growth. That, doesn't move that, the, that right. moves the needle for some guy. It doesn't do it for Starbucks. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a distributorship, and I, I just knocked that out of the park. But, you know, multi-billion dollar company, no, no dice. You know, I think that I think that Starbucks does have some places that they could go that could be a lot easier. And I actually have 
you know, a trial balloon is I think that they're going to go after Pete's. I think they're going to go after Pete's Coffee, which has done a very good job in its distribution network. It's very well it's it's very well situated. It's in eighty percent of the uh, the warehouse stores in you know in in the U.S. And I think that's a place where Starbucks could go and stay within their circle of competence. Well, and he did say in this interview that uh, he thinks there will be a number of acquisitions over the next couple of years. I mean, that that certainly would make sense to go after Pete. Yeah, we're not thinking that Starbucks may never grow again. I mean, they've got places they can go, but I just don't want to buy furniture. So back to this question of sort of multiple products that don't have coffee in them or or even associated with them, where do you think they can draw the line? Because they came out with coffee ice cream, which frankly is awesome. I mean, it's just delicious. It's a taste sensation. It is Hard a taste sensation. Up, though, but Chris. but where you know how much farther can they stretch that? You know, slapping their logo on T-shirts. Uh, I, I think we all agree that luxury furniture is probably out. Well, I don't understand what you know. They made that acquisition a few years ago now. I think it was of the Clover coffee machine, which is the really high-end vacuum um, pressed single-serving coffee machine. Which you know they've got one here in here in Alexandria, and it makes great coffee. And, and I thought the plan at the time was to either sell them or roll them out in their stores and give their stores a little bit of a competitive advantage. And that thing's just fallen they buried completely. <laughs> I, uh, talk about, I mean, I thought, you know, that was what Microsoft was good at, was buying things that are cool and then just destroying <laughs> them. But apparently Starbucks has gotten on that bandwagon as well. Mattel is closing its flagship store in Shanghai just two years after it opened. Six stories high, the store featured a spa, a cafe, design studio, fashion stage, and loads of Barbie products. The store's website says that Barbie has gone on a, quote, pink bus tour of China. Tim Hansen, uh, how come Barbie can't Is that code it? for something? It very well might be. <laughs> Can I go on a pink bus tour? <laughs> uh, I guess the lesson here is if you're going to fail, you might as well fail big. Yes. Right? I mean, you might as well have a spot, a restaurant, and all that good stuff. But, you know, this even this gets back to the, the Starbucks discussion a little bit, which is that it's just naive for a U.S. company to think they can take whatever they've got here in the United States, take it to uh, China, and, and succeed wildly. You know, it doesn't work that way. Something went wrong with Mattel in terms of either their market research or the way they positioned the brand in China, how they marketed it, but clearly they didn't attract local consumer attention. Bill? Well, one thing that you can say uh, as to why they may have failed is that they went out and they found the most expensive real estate in China, and it's actually some of the most expensive real estate in the world. So if they're not getting a bang for their buck from the brand, and it doesn't seem to me like they, you know, that the brand is positioned correctly for China, they've got to get out of that because it's, it, it will be extremely costly for them to stay there. I, I totally agree with that. If it were some luxury good, maybe, maybe buying that location or having that location would make sense because that sort of reestablishes that, that image you're trying to convey. But Barbie needs to be a mass market, everyday thing, and, and super high-end real estate doesn't convey that. What are some brands that have successfully translated? Because we, we, have, seen, we have seen this story before of a U.S. brand going in and just – and it sounds like what you're saying, Bill, is at least part of this has to do with real estate prices. Mm. But clearly part of this is just screwing up the brand. Well, you, you've got to have some respect for the local market. You think about uh, brands, American brands that have succeeded in China. You have KFC, which changed its menu and is less of a quick-serve, cheap place. You know, and in China, it's more of a casual little higher-end dining option. Not high-end, but a little higher-end. And you think of something like Nike, which went out and signed Yao Ming right off the bat. You know, and, and, and has really respected the local market. You know, you can get um, until Li Ning took over the sponsorship. Nike was a big sponsor of China's sports team. So I think that's the key 
for a Western brand to crack China is really respect and work within the local market and local tastes and not just take your concept from the United States, put it in China, and say, go. And finally, uh, I mean, Bill, Tim, you guys have both been to China. James, have you been? I have not been. Okay, so Tim and Bill, I guess I'll direct it to you. Where should Barbie go on her pink bus tour? Oh, Xi'an. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> coal mines. I, I mean, this is where, choice. you know, farming community. I mean, this is where she's going to blend. Those, those folks making $1,000 a year, they are. They need Barbies, whatever Barbies bringing on that That's right. She's going to knock Hello Kitty off, off of her <laughs> perch. And finally, as we talked about last week, Warren Buffett went on CNBC and, among other things, said that if you gave him the choice between all the farmland in the United States plus stocks like ExxonMobil or gold, he'd choose the stocks and the farmland. Uh, I think probably everyone in this room would make that choice as well. Richard Russell, a financial writer who says that gold is going to $6,000, had the following to say about Warren Buffett. Six grand. An ounce. Wow. You left now. I'm not laughing. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm bewildered, not bewildered. I'm just, I'm impressed. That's an impressive prediction. Here's the quote from Richard Russell. Warren Buffett's problem is that he only understands balance sheets and earnings. The value of a Picasso or a gem diamond or a bar of gold is outside Buffett's understanding, which is sad because Buffett's lack of understanding has kept many an American on the sidelines while gold surged higher in terms of Buffett's beloved Paper currencies. I would love for Buffett to come out and say, hey, I can't hear you through the thickness of my wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Who who is this guy? For anybody calling himself a Dow theorist is automatically suspect in my book. Sure, Warren Buffett doesn't know how to value gold, but neither does anybody else. It's, you know, let alone a Dow theorist, I might add. It's just something that doesn't have an intrinsic value. I think his one good point is is that we're going to have increasing currency uncertainty, and and so so maybe people are going to turn to gold uh, in, in response to that, but but I really have no idea where his math comes from uh, in getting to $6,000 an ounce. Well, and Richard Russell has a newsletter called The Dow Theory, um, which is why he's frequently known as the Dow Theorist, or as I suggested before we started taping, maybe it's just a line he uses at bars, because, you know, <laughs> I, I got to believe the women are impressed when you say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a Dow Theorist. You Bill, believe they're impressed by that? Oh, you never know. It's <laughs> been a long time. For what bar do you go to? <laughs> No, the financial bars. Remind me to never go to your bars. Um, is is there anything defensible here? Uh, you know, I I read the actual piece, and one thing that's certainly not defensible is that they spell his name differently like six different times. But oh. it, it's a marketing piece. I guess he's getting what he wants. You know, he's getting a lot of attention by going after Warren Buffett, and that's fine. But I, I, I think the thing that Richard Russell or whoever actually wrote or said this misses is that it's not up to Warren Buffett to guide people to or from securities. The gold he market? Is, right. He is the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, and that is what he does. And those are the people who are his constituency. But even his comparison of a, go- a bar of gold to a Picasso seems to me to be totally wrong. You know, if, if, if Warren, Buffett, Warren Buffett has an appreciation for Picassos, because Picassos are great companies that have been born out <laughs> of sort right. of human ingenuity and creativity. <laughs> and, you know, this is the point is that I see great value in this thing that, you know, so much effort is going into and there's life and all these things. A bar of gold is a bar of gold. It's not a Picasso because it just was dug out of the ground and melted into a shape. And that's the end of the story. There's none of that, you know, juice that's causing intrinsic value and to use a Warren Buffett term to go up. That, that's the point. But on his side, on Richard Russell's side, he does have MC Hammer. Is that true? Oh, right. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. I mean, Noted, so, so far, MC Hammer has been right. Noted financial wizard, MC Hammer. MC Hammer's been right about so much. 
Tim Hansen, <laughs> James Early, Bill Mann. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. You know, there's only there's only so much you can get away with in terms of picking on Hammer. I mean, <laughs> you, you talk about Picasso. Oh, yeah. He was a Picasso in parachute pants. Oh.